Deathcast. Hello and welcome to the Deathcast. I'm your host, best-selling author Ian Cotton. I'd like to thank you for joining me for this very special Saturday afternoon special-esque edition of the Deathcast called a Lifecast. Today I am pleased to be joined by a special guest. He's the brother and former manager of a man who is a personal hero of mine. That would be the one and only Sam Kinnison. We are joined by Sam's brother, Bill. Before we get into the interview, I have my normal plugs. If you'd like to follow me on social media, that would be Facebook, Instagram, and MeWe. Just search for Ian Totten, author. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, look for me at Corpse Creek. If you'd like to help support the show, go to your favorite podcast app like and subscribe to the show leave a five star review share it on social media if you'd like to further help out the show go to the official website for the show that's corpsecreekpublishing.com there you can get updates on upcoming books uh, as well as sign up for the mailing list and if you're so inclined make a donation there's a donation button on the page just click on it Make a donation, buy me a cup of coffee or a pack of cigarettes, just help with the production of this show. No amount is too small and no amount is too large. For those of you who have already made a donation, I'd like to thank you. Now that business is out of the way, get yourself something to drink, find a chair, kick back and relax. I've got my coffee, I've got my cigarettes. Let's go talk to Bill Kinnison. Joined today by a very special guest. Uh, I've alluded a few times over the last couple of weeks that I had had some interviews coming up, and this is the very first one, and I'm honored to have this individual. His brother was quite possibly the largest stand-up comedian in the world in the late 1980s, and he's agreed to come on today and talk about him. I'm talking about the one and only... Bill Kinnison, brother of the late Sam Kinnison. Hi, Bill. How are you? Ian, I'm doing great, man. Glad to be on the show with you. We were supposed to do this on Saturday, but then when I got up in 9-11, that was, I don't know why, 20 years later, that was still fresh to me. And I was like, man, I can't, I, I just can't get myself up to do an interview. But I'm glad we hooked up now. As am I. I. I understand you with 9-11. I was on board an aircraft carrier when that happened, and it was one of the most surreal moments of my life. It was horrible. Yes, it was. I shipped off a couple days after that and went overseas. So, All right, so we're going to get right into the meat of this thing. I know I only got you for a little while. Uh, All right. Who is Bill Kinnison, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, man. Let's see. I don't know. Uh, I never have anybody ever ask me that stuff. Uh, I'm a uh, former minister. I managed Sam, uh, his career. And uh, then when he passed, I uh, won a Grammy. I produced several award-winning documentaries and then i did uh uh robin williams who was a good friend i did his eulogy and i had several friends that came up afterwards and goes man that's what you ought to be doing you ought to be back in ministry and so uh, what we are doing presently is we're we're on facebook and we have over three thousand that watch us live and i don't know how many during the week and we do a program called The Gospel According to Kennison, and it's really more motivation than it is uh, than it is church. And uh, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. But that's that's me. All right. I guess I actually I checked it out this past weekend. I'm not very religious. I'm more of a spiritual individual, but I enjoyed what I heard. Well, see, that program's perfect for you because we don't have very very many religious people i don't think i think both of them are just spiritual yeah that's it's i can i can wrap my head around that so like as i said what it what i heard was 
good. So I will be putting a link to um, wherever it is you have it that in the description for this show. So oh, of course. So uh, your brother Sam and you were you the oldest? Was he the oldest? Uh, I was five years older, but Sam lived more life in 38 years than I'll ever live if I live to be 100. But I was the oldest brother. And what kind of, how did you guys grow up? Uh, well, I was very athletic. I was a wrestling uh, state champion in high school. And I played uh, basketball and baseball. Sam wasn't very athletic. He tried it, but he just was not an athletic person. And so uh, he started getting into uh, actually heavy metal. I remember first uh, first concert he took me or had me to take him to was Black Sabbath. And Good that comes that was in the uh, that was in the sixties, late sixties. And I was a I was into folk music, so. Uh, I had no idea that one day Ozzy Osbourne would be friends of Sam and I. <laughs> and so yeah, that's that's, uh, that's where he went. Uh, now, and I understand that your guy's father was a preacher. That was the family business. My dad, I had three brothers. Uh, all three uh, was preachers for a time. Sam preached for seven years. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that was kind of, you know, no one ever told us that, you know, you're, yeah. we were Pentecostal for one thing, which is like a, in the ladder of, of religion, that's like a, a step above the snake handlers. And uh, no one ever told us that we were supposed to preach, mm-hmm. but you kind of had that underlying psychology that the reason you was in this family is that... Uh, you're supposed to be a preacher, and you wouldn't be happy unless you were a preacher. And so uh, we all four ended up doing it at one time. Was that like tent revival type stuff? Oh, yeah. Okay, I've, I've seen Yeah, the speaking in tongues, uh, dancing, and I never could get into casting out the demons. I'm sorry, man. I just... <laughs> I was just going to ask you about that. That, that was a little because... beyond. That was a little stress for me. I just didn't believe in that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I was I dra- got dragged to a a Baptist revival in uh New York at one point and they were doing that and it was mind-blowing. Yeah, there's not much difference in in Baptists and Pentecostals. We were just independent rather than being in an organization. That was the only difference. Okay. And see, and you guys, you grew up in Illinois. Joy, Illinois. Okay. And we grew Stop. up in the same projects as Richard Pryor, but we didn't know Richard until Sam was in comedy, and then we ended up being very, very close friends. Oh, very cool. So this one comes from a bit that Sam did on one of his albums. Uh, I really got into him in the mid-90s. I knew who he was. I remember when he passed away, but I really got into him when I was in my teenage years. But he threw out the line about, you know, you're not the one that ran away when your dad died. Was there any truth to that, or was that just a bit of his? Actually, he ran away before dad died. And uh, we didn't know his 14. We didn't know if he's alive or dead for two years. Then we found out that dad did. And uh, Sam had made a deal with him that, you know, if he wouldn't tell us, he'd always tell him where he was at. And dad would send him money and stuff. And, uh, then he ended up uh, going to a Bible college that I had went to, and he lasted there for about a, a year, and then my dad died. Okay. And that's when he uh, he said it was like the Julian Lena thing, I got to do it for dear old dad. He is named after dad, and he just felt like that, you know, he had to do it more out of respect to his dad than, than that's what he should be doing. Okay. So... Was was Sam successful as a preacher or not really? No, no, not really. We had a brother, our oldest brother, Richard, mm-hmm. was born uh, severely mentally handicapped and blind. Mm-hmm. And at the age of 13, uh, he was miraculously healed. He said an angel appeared to him and said he was healed. 
and uh, he was two years older than me. He was 13 at the time. And so he started, he had to start school literally at 13. And uh, he graduated from high school with me. And I was two years older. So he caught, he caught up and, and we graduated together. One of my proudest moments. Wow, I can imagine. And so having to follow that. And then I, I was, uh, preachers thought I was an extremely good preacher. They used to call me a, a preacher's preacher. Mm-hmm. And that was a little hard to for Sam to follow. I mean, that's tough. And uh, he tried. He tried for seven years. Uh, he caught his wife in an affair. And in our circles, Pentecostal circles, that's the worst thing that could happen to you. Mm-hmm. They used to say, if you can't take care of your own house, you're not fit for the house of God. And uh, so he was through. And he came to the church I was pastoring and told me what happened. And so I told him, I said, uh, and he told me, he said, dude, I preached for seven years. I haven't made $5,000 in one in, in any one year. And, uh, and so I said, Sam, I want you to take some time. And I want you to stop and look down inside of you and find out what you've always wanted to do. And he took about five seconds and said, I, wanted, I always want to be a stand-up comedian. And so I said, okay, set a date and pass that date. Don't ever preach again or you'll keep going back to it. And uh, that's how I got into comedy. Where did he start with in comedy? He started in Houston, Texas. And he had uh, he had found a uh, girlfriend after he got divorced. He had found a girlfriend and she lived in Houston. And they would talk on the phone and she was looking at the paper. And uh, in the paper, they were going to have this club, which seemed about it was really a bar. Mm-hmm. It seemed about 60 people. And uh, in a week, they was going to teach you how to be a stand-up comedian, which I think is really funny now, looking back. Yeah. But uh, Sam and several, uh, Yakov Smirnoff started there, Bill Hicks, uh, several that, that end up having uh, careers. Uh, but Sam was, from the first time up, he was a natural, and he was by far you know, the, the guy that everybody else looked to. And uh, that's how he got into comedy. So did, was it immediately after he was in this, this uh, week school that he went to California or did he stay around uh, in Texas for a while? No, he was in, uh, he was in Houston for two years. Okay. And, uh, and he was both, both years he has voted the, Texas comedian of the year, and I remember he, he went to Hollywood, and Mitzi asked him, "Have you ever done comedy?" Mm-hmm. And uh, and Sam said, "Yeah, I was the Texas comedian of the year two years in a row." And she goes, "Where is Texas?" Other words, it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that don't mean nobody. anything. Yeah, and so uh, he actually came out with Bill Hicks. Mm-hmm. and uh, Yakov Smirnoff and about three or four other guys. And uh, he auditioned or whatever for Mitzi. And after he got through, he went to her booth and she to find out what she thought. And so she said, you're not funny. I tell you what, I'll make you a doorman and you can see how the pros did it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he is a doorman for five years. So humble beginnings, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he was he was still good, you know. He would she would hold him off till like <clears throat> two o'clock in the morning, but they would get phone calls wanting to know when Sam was coming up, and this was like an underground kind of a following. Uh, mm-hmm. Porno stars, rock yeah. stars, uh, you name it. I mean, but and so they would pack the place at two o'clock in the morning and. The reason she did that was to sell drinks up till when he came in or go, went up because they knew she knew they was going to sell a shitload then. Yeah. And so uh, that's how that's how it happened. I, that, that's amazing. I, was this during the period of time when the people at the comedy store weren't getting paid? Uh, that was right after. OK. So Sam wasn't I mean, immediately after he wasn't in he wasn't in that. OK. 
But even even when he was a star, the funny thing is they went on this strike, <laughs> and uh, you know they want to be paid. Well, you know what? They end up getting paid, and they're still getting paid today. Thirty five dollars a night. And that's what even, Sam made up until he made it. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't get far on thirty five dollars a night. I tell you that. <laughs> nope, nope, sure can't. You can't even eat. So I supported him, you know, that whole time. Yeah. And I would come out whenever it looked like, you know, there might be something, you know, that would uh would happen for him. I'd come out and deal with it, but it, it, there never was. Never was, and his real, it really his break came from Rodney Dangerfield, who had seen him in Houston, mm-hmm. and really he'd only been doing comedy about six weeks, and Rodney played a place in Houston called the Arena, big venue, and then he would go to a little comedy club afterwards, which Sam ended up doing, and uh, so the club little, and they didn't have these clubs everywhere, so he went to this little bar, and uh, Sam happened to be on stage, and so I was at the bar, and I told the bartender, he came in with his entourage. I said, you know, whatever they want, I'll take care of it. So he goes over and takes their order and then tells them the guy at the bar is going to pay for it. And so Rodney had me come over and sit next to him and join the the crowd. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll never forget, I, I guess there isn't any filter on, on what we say here, huh? No, not at all. Okay, I just don't want to get you in trouble. No. Anyhow, so I remember sitting there. Now, he doesn't know I have any connection with Sam at all. He just knows I'm buying their drinks. Yeah. And so he looks over at me and says, hey, this kid's a fucking genius. He's going to be big one day, I'm telling you. I don't know how long it's going to take him because he's not too disciplined, but he's a fucking genius. And so after the after Sam got through, I had him come over. I introduced the two of them. Uh, they immediately formed a friendship. Matter of fact, the three of us formed a friendship. And uh, then every time that Sam, you know, when he's in L.A., when he hit there, and every time Rodney would see him, he'd go, how many minutes have you got? And Sam would always be honest with him. I got 10 minutes. I got 15 minutes. I got 20 minutes. And uh, then one night, uh, he had just finished the show at Universal, and he came there. And, uh, again, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, Sam got up and performed. And so when he when he came off stage, Rodney talked to him and said, hey, I'm doing this uh, young comedian special on HBO. I think it really help you. Well, I owned a comedy club in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And uh, we I just had the Showtime Funniest Man in America finals there. Yeah. So Sam thought that this was a contest and I did, too. And uh, Sam wasn't going to win any contest, you know, with the material he did back in 86. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And so uh, Sam told him, said, uh, I don't do, do I don't do contests and kind of walked away. And uh, so Rodney asked some of the other comics, says, where's his brother? Where's, where's, where's his brother, Bill? They said, uh, and I had moved out there then. And and they said, I think he's at home. Said, well, give me his phone number. So he called me like three o'clock in the morning. Tells me the same thing. Hey, yeah, you know, I'm doing this uh, young comedian special, and uh, I think it'd be great for Sam. And so I tell Rodney, I go, you know, uh, Rodney, he does, he don't do contests. Now I'll never forget, Rodney goes, what the fuck is it with you two guys? It's not a goddamn contest. I'm telling you, it's a showcase. I think it could do something. So I said, all right, I'll talk to him tomorrow and see what happens. <laughs> and so uh, the next day, I call Sam and. And told him Rodney called me, and so Sam goes, I ain't doing any contest, man. I go, well, he says it's a showcase. And uh, the good news is we get a free trip to New York. And so we did it because we got a free trip to New York. Mm -hmm. We didn't think six minutes was going to do anything. And uh, so we go up to New York, and the night before they filmed it, they did a live show where the – cameras could get their angles and the grips could get the sound and all that and Sam cleared the room he's the last one up and he cleared the room they walked out on him mm-hmm. and uh, so he goes over to Rodney and tells Rodney he said Rodney I, I can't I, I can't get going in six minutes Rodney goes hey tomorrow night you're gonna kill Sammy I'm telling you you're gonna kill tomorrow night 
Well, the next night came, and I'm, I don't know if you've seen the HBO special. Yes, I have. That uh, that six minutes changed his life from that moment. All of a sudden, I had more business I could take care of uh, in a week after he, that aired. We had a four special deal with HBO. We had a four record deal with Warner Brothers. I think we had a, uh, a four appearances scheduled on uh, Saturday Night Live, four on David Letterman. I mean, all within a week. And uh, that was it. We never looked back. Yeah, that's, you know, I've seen interviews with other comedians who've said, you know, Sam, when he started out, he would say, you know, I just, I, I can get him once I get going, but it's that getting going that's the problem. And I assume yeah. that's similar to what he was telling Rodney. Yeah. That's exactly what he was telling me. I can't get going in six minutes. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, you got to remember, he just spent like, like five years <laughs> dealing with drunks at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, well, I've, I've I've seen there's clips out there on YouTube and other places of his early stand up before you know he really became you know yeah. the same innocent that we all know, and you can see the the glimmers in there of what he would become, but it, there's lulls in it. Yeah. So. So after that, I mean, you guys were just off to the races. Yeah, I remember we put together a 40 city tour immediately. And uh, our first show was down in Fort Lauderdale. It was actually at a rock club. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had 3000 there standing. And uh, we did the show. And I remember I went and settled with the uh, promoter. And uh, he gave us a check for 12000 So Sam's on the tour bus. Now, you got to remember, remember he just, he's been making $35. Yeah. And we come out, and uh, so he goes, how do we do, brother? And I said, I just picked up a check for 12000 And so, man, we hugged each other. I think we probably even cried. We thought, oh, we, had, we, thought we had made it, and not knowing at the end of that 40-city tour, uh, I didn't consider an offer of less than 50,000 mm-hmm. and we eventually topped out at 175,000 good lord <laughs> yeah that, that, that's a huge jump <laughs> oh yeah that was at universal in uh in hollywood okay so now with all of this going on were the drugs already in his life at this point or was success it is that when it started no, he'd been from the time he got out to Hollywood. I mean, you're running in, you know, you're meeting uh, Richard Pryor, you're meeting uh, Robin Williams, you're meeting these guys, and they had what they called the mansion, which is really a dump up the hill from the comedy store, mm-hmm. and they would all meet there afterwards and party. Okay. And Sam had an addictive personality. He couldn't do anything in moderation. I don't care what it was. I know how that I mean, is. <laughs> If, uh, you know, if he liked a, a song, then he had to buy every album by that person. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he just had an addictive personality. So, uh, so he, he, he did it for five years before he hit. Okay. So he'd been, he'd been party. He was the party monster for five years before, before he ever hit big. Now... So he's basically on top of the world at this point. He's really one of the largest comedians on the planet. How did the twins come into this? Uh, you talking about the double mint twins? Uh, the, I know the one he married. Oh, no, they weren't twins. They were just sisters. Oh, okay. My yeah, mistake. yeah. Malika is the one that he ended up marrying. Uh, he really loved uh, Sabrina, mm-hmm. which was her sister. Okay, and uh, he met him. He met, I think he met Malika in Vegas. Actually, I think I met her at the same time, and mm-hmm. never thought anything. She was a a guy named Angel Salazar's girlfriend. Nobody thought anything. And I was at his house in uh, Hollywood, and he was out doing something. And the phone rang, and and I answered it, and it was uh, supposedly Malika. Mm-hmm. So this is Malika, and. Uh, I'd like to know if Sam would like to get something to eat. So I said, well, I'll, I'll give you a, a phone number, and uh, he can call you when he comes in. So when he comes in, I go, because I didn't remember. And so he comes in, I go, uh, 
goes in, he calls, said, yeah, you got got some call from a gal named Malika. He goes, what, what's it about? What's it about? And I go, well, she wants to meet you somewhere to have something to eat. And I said, here's her phone number. So he called her back. Well, you end up finding out it wasn't Malika. It was Sabrina calling for Malika. Mm, okay. So when he went down and, and met Malika to get a bite to eat, he actually met Malika and Sabrina. And they must have hit it off because they moved in that night. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you look at the specials that he did, if I'm not mistaken, that's the two of them up on stage with him. And I know. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. That's them. Yeah. Now, how did uh, Howard Stern come into the picture? Because I know that was another, you know, career milestone, so to speak. Well, it was uh, Howard, I think, was just in New York and. And Philadelphia, when we went up there, we took a red eye, mm-hmm. and Howard uh, did not like stand-up comedians. Yeah. and uh, But Sam had so much heat that he decided to have him on, but he wasn't excited about it. And he let it be known that he didn't like stand-up comedians, and the reason was, we didn't know when we first went there, but the reason was that, is that the stand-ups would never come out of character on his show. Okay. And so Sam and I is riding in this plane, red-eyed, from New York, or L.A. to New York, and Sam's nervous, which was unusual. He's nervous. He said, dude, what, you know, what do I do? And I said, well, the first thing you do when you walk in, give it up to him. You're the king. He's the king mm-hmm. of all media, which is where that came from, by the way. Yeah. And uh, he's the king of all media. Give it up to him. And... Uh, and I said, because he's probably got an ego bigger than than the building where the studio's at. Mm-hmm. So we went. Well, Sam goes even further. He walks into the studio when they bring him in, and he gets down on his knees and starts bowing to him. You're the king. You're the king. You're the king of all media. And that fed right into, you know, Howard's ego. Yeah. And, uh, and from then on, they... Uh, they were just friends, and if you see ever seen any of Sam's interviews, uh, it wasn't a stick. It was him. That was that was the real guy, and 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 Howard loved that. Oh yeah, now, I have somewhere I have the recordings of from when Sam was on his show. That to yep. be honest, that's the only part of the show I liked. I never was a Howard Stern fan. But yep. your your brother was just something special. At least you know for me, I told you in the message I sent you when I contacted you, and I was a bit of a rebellious teen and he, he instantly grabbed me. <laughs> yep. But I mean, it speaks to how big he is. You know, I know I have younger listeners out there. I was in you know, I think second or third grade when he was on the Bundy show. Uh, Married oh yeah. yeah. Their highest rated show ever by the yeah. way. I remember my Still sister is. and I were not allowed to watch that show and somehow we got allowed <laughs> We were allowed to watch it because Sam Innocent was on it. <laughs> you know, so I mean, that tells you he, he was in a force of nature, kind of a cultural icon. He was yeah. everywhere. So. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of different documentaries on your brother and everything. Whenabouts did the the drugs really start affecting him? I mean, as far as his performance and stuff, because this is no disrespect to your brother. I know there was a period in the late 80s, early 90s. It seemed like he was having some problems at times when he was on stage. Uh, they, they were, and I'm not I'm not defending. Sam's life is what it was. Yes. His problems are what they were and everything else. But I've never seen anybody that was as resilient as he was. Mm-hmm. If I could get him on stage, they got a great show. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not saying and, that. And, I no, no, I, I know what you're saying. You're right. Because there were, I remember we had a show in Vegas, was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Was a disaster. But, I mean, they they were far and few between. Yeah. And it made, made it very difficult for me because I never partied. I didn't even yeah. drink. Mm-hmm. And it made it very difficult because uh, if I went, you know, Sam, look what you're doing to your career. And he would say, well, look at the reviews, brother. And he was right. The reviews were always, always great. But when you get this, what they call, you know, this lull, it wasn't so much as drugs. It was uh, Hollywood had turned on him. 
Okay. You know, I mean, uh, he was in the, he was going to do the Atuk movie. Okay. And, uh, and I guess they were trying to scare him or something. And uh, so they said, well, we're thinking about pl- pulling the plug. So Sam gets up and he goes, well, I'm going back to L.A. We were in New York at the time, getting ready to shoot. He's actually in costume. So I'm going back to L.A. Well, everybody dropped him. Everybody dropped him. Mm-hmm. I mean, agents. Only two that were standing was myself and our business manager mm-hmm. that handled the money. Every other every other one dropped him, and then they tried to ruin him. Yeah. And and they almost did. And uh, I worked his ass off just to keep his, you know, his head above water. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was trying to think, who who could I get? And Sam started hooking up with these rockers. Yeah. Well, Irving Azoff was the biggest agent for rockers that was in the business. And so I invited him to to come to the comedy store and in the showroom where Sam was going to do a show. And I said, I just want you to look at him. Forget about everything you've heard. You're a rock. I mean, you know, you deal with rockers, so you know how that shit works. Yeah. And so uh, so he, he watched him. And when he got through, he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I'm, I want to get in business with you guys. Mm-hmm. And so, well, he. He managed, I mean, he was the agent for uh, uh, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, uh, all these guys. And so uh, they all they all started hooking up. So Sam started appearing in their videos. They appeared in Sam's videos. But it, it, Sam would like, he always liked to put together a all-star band if we were in L.A. or Vegas or New York. And these were the guys that would come and do it for nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's how I got to be the rock comedian. Yeah, the whole wild thing video. And yeah, yeah. I know one of the albums has a couple other songs that he did. I think he did a cover of Mississippi Queen. Yeah, well, that now that, <laughs> that was not my idea, by the way. <laughs> under <laughs> under my thumb, it. he did that. Uh, uh, Mississippi Queen, that, that wasn't uh, quite the... Uh, he actually did it without ever telling me. Yeah. Because he knew I was going to go, what are you doing? Yeah, I, I he with a skull cap on and making fun of uh, Sinead O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, out in a, in a cemetery, I was like, what are you doing? I remember and getting goes, that album and hearing it. Yeah. And you, you get through all the comedy and all of a sudden there's like three or four songs. It's like, whoa, wait a yeah. minute. Yeah. Well, he's trying to branch out, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, except for Mississippi Queen, they were actually pretty good. I mean, uh, oh yeah, no, uh, I, Wild Wild Thing, I think, climbed uh, up in the 30s on the charts. I I I enjoyed them. I still have all the CDs, pulled over from my Navy days. But <laughs> did uh. Okay, this was a question. One of the questions I was asked: How did Jessica oh, bring it on, man? Bring it on. How did Jessica Horn come into the picture? Oh Jesus! Yeah, we had we had heard of Jessica Hahn, or at least I had when I was in the ministry. Mm-hmm. She attended a church in Brooklyn called uh, I don't remember the name of the church. The pastor was Gene Prevetta. He probably don't appreciate me putting his name out there. And the reputation was that if you preached at his church, you had a gal there that was going to take care of you. Yeah. And that was Jessica Hunt. And uh, I never, I, I turned down, every time I had an invitation there, I turned it down. Uh, first, because I, you know, I just, I wasn't like that. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and I just, I didn't want to go to Brooklyn, shit. And uh, so, uh, anyhow, now you got the Jim Baker thing, which we knew, or I knew. Yeah, the guy that was with it with them was John Fletcher, which is the one that hooked Jessica Hahn up with her with Jim Baker and him. Mm-hmm. And I knew John Fletcher when he started. And uh, Cindy, all this all this Jim Baker thing hits. Well, we're doing a show uh, at the Universal Amphitheater, sold out. 
and uh, they're in Hollywood. Sam somehow runs into her, probably partying the night before or something. So he invites her to the show. So when I get there, and we've got all kinds of people that are backstage because we have five drummers and I don't know how many guitars. I mean, everybody's there. It's Sam Kennison. Mm -hmm. So Sam goes, hey, man, I want you to meet somebody. So I said, all right. So he takes me outside. And here's this gal. And uh, so he goes, uh, Bill, this is Jessica Hahn. So she gives me a hug. Then when she gives me a hug, she goes, oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm so they're still hard. And I was like, uh, what? Said my tits are still hard. I just had them done. <laughs> and so that was kind of my. Uh, that was that was my meeting of Jessica Hahn. Well. That after Universal is over the next night, Sam has to fly up to uh, uh, Northern California to a big resort called uh, Circle Theater, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So he rents a uh, rents a Lear. I don't go. And he, and he takes uh, Jessica Hahn with him. They come back and they spend the night. And according to Sam, I guess if you watched interviews, <laughs> it was one of the worst romantic nights he's ever had. Yeah, I'm ready. And, uh, but asleep. the problem was, after that, we couldn't get rid of her. I mean, if Sam did the Howard Stern show, she's calling in. Yeah. If he did the Larry King show, she's calling in. She started showing up at our gigs across the country where the radio stations would fly her in to you know, try to get attention for their radio station. And mm-hmm. uh, we couldn't get rid of the gal. And so Sam's routine about it was is that, uh, uh, you know, they they had a relationship. It ended early because checkout was at two. And uh, that was pretty much it. That's the only time they ever hooked up, by the way. And that's, I had heard that, and I also had heard, I actually, in prep for this, I actually listened to an interview you did on another show. It was a couple of years ago, I think. Oh, Okay. But, I just listened to it just to get an idea of what was covered, what wasn't covered. Yeah. Kind of thing. So, now. Well, I hope, I hope my, my story stayed the same. It has stayed the same. <laughs> it is. I'm trying, so I'm trying to give you some questions that are different than what were asked because, you know, yep. uh, there's more to your brother's story than just what meets the eye. Yeah. So now we're going to jump into the 90s. Your brother, did he start cleaning up? I mean, as far was, as the drugs and the alcohol? He was he was basically clean mm-hmm. the last year of his year and a half of his life. Now okay. when I say basically clean, uh, he never considered yeah, he never considered pot as drugs. Okay. But uh, you know, he might have a maybe once every three or four months uh he'd have a night yeah but other than that that was it so that's the reason i say he was basically clean and i could deal with that i mean for six years i dealt with every night Mm -hmm. but i could deal with that so i had no problem with that yeah well you know and his real real problem was was alcohol he could he could quit blow anytime he wanted yeah but if he had one drink he was uh he was in we're going to move towards the when your brother passed away. Now, I've heard and I've read he had just come back from getting married or? He got married uh, five days before. Okay. And was he like, and I've read other things too that said he was kind of starting like a comeback tour. So to well, speak. Well, uh, there again, you know, I, I don't I don't understand like the comeback stuff. We'd already done the comeback stuff <laughs> like in 1990. Okay. Matter of fact, in the five days that uh, uh, he was gone on his honeymoon, I signed a uh, four movie deal with New Line. I just signed a new three year deal with uh, the Beverly, I mean the uh, Las Vegas Hilton. <laughs> I just signed a. Uh, uh, his own TV series on Fox, yeah, uh, uh, called the Sam Kennison Family Entertainment Hour. So to me, that doesn't sound like we're bouncing back. It sounds like we've been there. Oh yeah, that's and so that's that's how I look at it. That you know, 
Yeah, I mean, well, I know for myself, when I look at his career, the whole section where he, you know, he's doing the family entertainment tour is like peak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that stuff with, uh, was it Doug Beatty? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Doug. Yeah, that was one of Jerry's kids. Yes, that's that whole bit is hilarious. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Doug. Doug is at with a guy that took care of him named Dave Lerman. Dave Lerman's still alive, I believe. Doug <laughs> passed away. But uh, they were they were at a uh, fundraiser for EMS. <laughs> and Jerry had had too much to drink. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he saw, I shouldn't be laughing, but it's funny. Well, he saw Doug in, you know, in the wheelchair. And if you've ever seen the thing, that's how he was. He's like, you know what, two and a half feet tall or three feet tall yeah. or something, mm-hmm. and twisted up body. <laughs> and Jerry sees him and starts uh, heading straight to him. Goes, I know who you are, you little bastard. <laughs> I, I've seen, I seen you with Sam Kennison, and he actually attacks him and, and tears his shirt. <laughs> and they settled out of court for ten grand, I think. But <laughs> I could just see Jerry, Jerry Lewis drunk heading over there, going, "You little bastard." <laughs> That actually makes the bit much better. Yeah. This whole uh, fucking line really yep. means it. Yeah, <laughs> we, carried, we carried Doug on tour with us for that one routine that Sam would do. Mm-hmm. Well, that is great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're... So maybe, maybe Jerry wasn't as compassionate about these kids as he let on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've, I've heard some things from some people I know. <laughs> it's, that seems to run prevalent in the inter- entertainment industry. Your brother might be one of the few who I've never heard anything bad about. Well, you just haven't talked to the right people, believe me. Well, everybody. Believe me, Sam, Sam, either you loved him or you hated him. Yeah, well, everybody. There, there was not a the, middle ground. Well, there's people that'll say that about me, too, so. <laughs> Yeah, but that's all of us. Yeah. But Sam, you, you, Sam's been gone now uh, 29 years. Mm-hmm. And he has, a, he has a tremendous cult following. Oh, yeah, I know he that does. That is mind-blowing. And now you got to remember, 30 years ago, so in other words, if you weren't 15 years old by that time, you never knew who this guy was. Mm-hmm. But yet he has this unreal following. And every year at his at his death, this year there was over over two thousand posts. On I, I left a, a you know I put on a post which I always say this is gonna be the last year, but then so many people start posting I have to say something. Yeah. And so I, I left I put on a post which uh, pretty basically was you know I'm proud to say Sam mm-hmm. Kennison was my brother. Yeah. And I said, you know, comedians are a very, uh, they're a very close-knit group. Mm -hmm. They're also some of the most jealous and insecure people I've ever met in my life. And I said, I notice every year people post all kinds of, uh, of tributes and everything else about Sam. I hardly ever see a comedian do that. Yeah. I said, but you have all kinds of rockers that do. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think the reason is, is that when you're all struggling, comedians are, they love each other. Yeah. But then when one of them make it, they actually are jealous about it because they usually feel like they should have made it. Mm Mm-hmm. And everything else. And I think that's exactly what happened with Sam. I mean, for five years, he's back there hanging with whoever will hang with him. Then he hits, and nobody nobody wants to hang with him anymore except rockers. Yeah. So anyway, but he still has a, a tremendous uh, large following. Oh, I, I know he does. Believe me. I'm in a, I'm a writer by trade, and... You'd be surprised how many other authors are fans of your brother. 
you know, in the writers' groups online, they, you know, they throw around his jokes. Yeah. You know, he's one of those, like you said, he's either universally loved or universally disliked. Yeah. And so, I understood that. I mean. Yeah. He, he wasn't for anyone. He, or yeah. everyone. He was, you know, the anti-PC. Yeah. And he also, uh, he, he didn't, he never compromised. Yeah. He, the comedy you've seen. Before he died was the comedy, and I ain't talking about the routines, because first, he never wrote a routine. Mm-hmm. And second, uh, everything he did, which made it so easy to manage him, for we did 280 shows a year, mm-hmm. and everything he did was, I'd say, 80, 90% of it was off the cuff, what was happening right now. Oh, yeah. Which I well, thought that's... was his real genius. Because, as you know, looking at his stuff, he was a storyteller. He wasn't a joke teller. Yeah. But he can make you, anything funny. Well, you can see that, too, just looking. If you watch different clips of his quote-unquote bits, yeah. the general story is the, the punchline will be the same, but the way he goes about telling it is different every time. <laughs> I remember I remember when he did the HBO special with Rodney. He did this bit. He actually, I think, kind of, you no, know, I first opened with Marlboros. Then the mm-hmm. next thing was with starving children. Yes. And uh, when he told me he's going to do that, I go, Sam, you better be funny because mm-hmm. you're getting up there and going to make fun of starving children. And he got up and it was hilarious. You know, a little Haji in a mud hole. Mm-hmm. You know, can we want you please help? And he said, you know, you know, there's a director standing there a foot away going, don't feed him. Don't feed him. I need hunger. <laughs> and Sam was like, you know, the crew could have gave this kid a sandwich. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it it hit, but I mean, you look at most of the stuff, man. If you're not funny, yeah, gonna run you out of town. Mm-hmm. But he had this gift. He always had that gift. Yeah, he could just yeah. turn it. Yeah. So right, now, just really quickly, if you would, uh, what happened the day that your brother passed away? Well, he just got back that morning. Took a red mm-hmm. eye from Hawaii to L.A., we were going to uh, uh, Laughlin, Nevada for our last casino connection. I had negotiated a three-year deal there. Yeah. And so we were going there to uh, uh, for me to sign the contracts and Sam to pick up, you know, what I call chump change, mm-hmm. which was still a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, and so uh, he was supposed to fly into Vegas and then they would send a limo up to get him and bring him down to Laughlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got back to from the red eye and he called me and said he didn't want to he didn't want to take the jet. He wanted to uh, he wanted to drive. Mm-hmm. He was always afraid he, he was gonna die in a plane wreck. And yeah. so uh, so I said okay well we'll meet at Barstow which we did. I don't know if you're familiar with California. Yeah, I lived in Cali for 10 years. (laughs) Okay, well, we met at Barstow, and uh, I had rented a van and had the opening act and the security guy Mm -hmm. uh, with me. And uh, the reason I rented the van is after the show on on Sunday, I wanted to come home. Yeah. Actually, on Saturday, we're doing a, yeah, it's going to be on Saturday, they do the show, and then I was going to come home because there's only 240 miles. Yep. And so, uh, so he was driving there, and then, it, you know, things got got a little weird. He, he needed to get some gas about 20 miles from Laughlin. Mm-hmm. And so we pulled into this place for him to to uh, fill up his tank. And uh, so while they're filling it up, we get to talking. And I tell him, I think we need to get a new booking agent. I think we pretty well used this one as well as we can and so he's like man we just we just got him like two months ago and i said well dude i'm telling you i think we've already juiced his connections yeah so he said well you take care of business and uh so you do what you think you ought to do so i said all right and then i had a pair of olive oliver people's uh sunglasses they're about 300 dollars a pair mm-hmm. and he had had several pairs and so i had mine on and and he goes you know man you know, every, everybody comes to my house, they steal my sunglasses. 
And so I said, well, here, I'll give you mine. So I gave him my sunglasses. Then he turned around to the security guy, pretty much, that was filling up the his car. And he said, I'm going to tell you, this is the most honest guy I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then he wanted us, where it started getting weird is, he wanted us to empty his car mm-hmm. and put everything in the van. And I was like, dude, we're like 20 miles from Laughlin. And uh, I want it all out of the car. So we did. We had this dog, a poodle mix named mm-hmm. Russo. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went everywhere with him. I mean, he flew with him, everything else. And uh, so he tells me, he says, uh, have him get Russo and put him in the van. So I'm just standing there thinking, man, this is weird. But, you know, we're only 20 miles away. Well, he, he pulled out in front of me, which he never did, because usually he didn't know where we were going. And uh, so we got on this, what they call River Road. 20 mm-hmm. miles to Laughlin. We went 3.2 miles, and uh, we could see this. I was behind him. He obviously couldn't hear me, but I was talking. And I saw this van, uh, this truck, mm-hmm. and he saw it too. And uh, and so he was, I'm telling him, slow down, Sam. Slow down. Let this guy back in his lane. It was a two-lane road. Mm-hmm. And it's passing a bunch of cars, and I'm telling him, slow down, slow down. And Sam slowed down to about 15 miles an hour. The last second, this guy pulls back in line. So we had like a second of just, whoo. Yeah. And even not, probably not even that long. And then there was another truck that was behind him that was following his buddy. And uh, and they hit head on. And so uh, I kind of slid, we weren't going fast, and kind of slid the van up next to the car. And... Uh, the security guy jumped out. He couldn't get the Sam's door open. And I guess just with the adrenaline flowing, uh, I told him to get out of the way. And I jerked the door open. And Sam was still sitting in his seat. But he's leaning over on the armrest. He had like four scratches on his head. That's the only injuries we could see. But he had internal injuries mm-hmm. that we didn't know. And, uh, and he started asking why. Why now? Why? Why now? And so I was like, and he's trying to scoot out of the car. And I'm like, Sam, sit still. We got help on the way. But I didn't know if we did or not because we're actually in a, we is back there before they had the Verizon things. Can you hear me now? Crap. Yeah. So we were in a dead zone. But somebody, I guess, you know, got a hold of him. And so I went and checked on the kid that was in the truck, him and his passenger, because you know running all out of this truck and he couldn't get out of his truck mm-hmm. and so I jerked his door open and he was a football player in high school 17 years old and uh, what and uh, so he uh, I get him out of the truck and the first thing he says when he gets out of trucks he looks at the front of his truck and says look what he did to my fucking truck and so I grabbed him by the, I'm just a little guy. Yeah. I grabbed him, grabbed him by the uh, back of his collar and I said, come on over here. I want you to look at this. So I want you to look at these people because you're probably going to work for them the rest of your life. Then go over there and sit next to the road. And so he did. He did. Mm-hmm. And now I get back. And so we can't keep Sam in the truck. And so, uh, I mean, in the car. Yeah. So he keeps scooting over. He weighed 280 pounds. And so I said, well, let's just lay him right here on the on the highway between the door jam and the car. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, of which we did. And uh, so I'm still trying to get, and I've got his phone now and I've got my phone. I'm still trying to get help. And uh, this Russo is in the van, but the doors are all open. Ordinarily, this dog would be gone. I mean, yeah. totally untrained. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he's got his paws on the, the back paws on the seat and his front paws looking out the uh, windshield. And Sam's laying there about five feet away from me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's looking at something. And then I hear Sam going, 
uh, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And it, but he wasn't. It wasn't like he was afraid. It was like he was negotiating with somebody. Mm-hmm. Like someone was going, you know, it's time for you to go. And Sam was going, no, I don't want to. And so finally, or not finally, immediately after that, he went, okay, okay, okay. And uh, so I immediately asked, you know, as he quit breathing. Yeah. And so a couple of the guys, you know, that had seen the wreck and they're there helping me. And uh, they're going, yeah, yeah, man, he's good. I said, okay, okay. Uh, who else, who else knows CPR here? Well, this kid was a volunteer at a hospital. So he said, I do. I said, well, come over and do compressions. I'll do mouth to mouth. But uh, he was gone. Yeah. He was gone. And so uh, that's the true story of what actually went on out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't get up and walk around. Uh, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, the opening act, which they had been best friends but had not were not best friends for a while yeah and uh and was only there because uh, he needed money and so sam said all right he can come but i don't want to talk to him i don't want to see him i don't want mm-hmm. him on stage with me yeah and, and so uh, but interviews i heard him give is actually what i'm telling you only it's him and he was holding sam there mm-hmm. wasn't anyone holding sam because i didn't know what injuries yeah that Sam might have. I didn't want to, like, if he's got a broken neck or something, I didn't want to paralyze the guy. Oh, yeah. And again, we didn't think he was dying. Mm-hmm. Until he took his last breath, we didn't think he was dying. And so, uh, that's exactly, that's exactly what happened out there. Yes, I, I remember when he passed away, my mom told me that morning that, that she had seen it on the news the night before. And just to kind of show people how big a deal your brother was, I was in fourth grade. My last period of the day was um, reading class, and our teacher announced to the class that Sam Kinison had passed away. And Did they really? Him, oh, yeah. Hmm. I'll never forget it. And asked for a moment of silence. Mind you, we were in a very upscale neighborhood in New Jersey. Yeah. Completely. It never happened with any other celebrity I ever remember when they passed away. When your brother passed away, we had a moment of silence in our fourth grade reading class for him. So, it's very touching, man. Yeah, it's it's the truth. That's stayed with me ever since then. That's one of those things that just locked into my brain regarding your brother. It was like, we, you know, our teacher must have thought something, you know, a lot of them to do that in school where... If somebody did that now, they'd be raising Cain. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So a couple questions, and I'll let you go, because I see we've gone over, and I apologize for that. No, I don't apologize. If I didn't want to talk to you, I wouldn't. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, do you think maybe your brother, when he stopped at the gas station, had a premonition of some type? He just to unload the car? I, I do. I do. Because, I mean, that's... I, I, I really do. I don't know that he knew he was going to get killed or anything like that, but I think he knew something was going to happen. And and it had been kind of... Just before we went on what? his uh, honeymoon, we had a meeting with New Line on, the, on these movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the middle of this meeting, Sam gets up and goes, you know, it sounds like a great idea if you all can work it out with my brother, then we're in business. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and he leaves. So when I get out of the meeting, because these guys, you know, these execs are asking me, going, hey, are you sure he's into this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I call him and I go, Sam, what, what's going on? And he goes, well, I was sitting there and I was thinking, I've attained everything that I wanted to attain. And I decided I needed to get some new goals. Mm-hmm. And so just little things like that, that, you know, just was like, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. Something's been. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's amazing. Okay. So last couple of questions. Uh, had your brother right. not 
passed away, where do you think he'd be doing now? Do you think he would have been one of these individuals who's sadly been caught up in this whole cancer culture bullshit? Oh, no, no, no. He'd have been raving against that. I don't oh, know how much stand-up that he would have uh, he would have done because his goal really was to be in movies and television. Okay. And doing the movies that he was going to do in his own television series. What our plan was that he would do that, and then maybe during the summer we would do a 12-city tour. Okay. And so I think he still would have done stand-up, but nothing like he did. Yeah. But I don't think Sam's, I mean, Sam's routines, if you want to call it that, uh, was either his life experiences or that was his viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he really thought that way, like the starving children. He really thought, why do they live out in the desert? You know, well, yeah. why don't they just move them? Well, because he and was stuff, speaking but... the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I, I I, think that he would have probably, you know, still been in, in movies doing that and uh, probably in the producing end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who knows? Who knows where it would have went from there? Yeah. But as far as this political climate now, I would have felt sorry for these people. Yeah, I know. There's days I wish that I could just go off on air, but I'm, you know, little, yeah. I, I have, you know, I don't want to possibly cause myself problems down the line. Yeah, and you probably would. Oh, yeah. But Sam, Sam would not have cared. Yeah. You know, first he'd had all the money that he wanted, and he would not have cared. I mean, probably Hollywood would have hated him, even though mm-hmm. uh, back in those, when he was big, he was actually a liberal okay but i know him mm-hmm. i mean this is a liberal that also made jokes about aids yeah i remember so <laughs> this this kind of stuff here believe me he'd have had a heyday mm-hmm. he would have had a heyday yeah i would it, it's sad we don't have somebody like him now that has the balls to say the stuff that needs to be said yeah well then you gotta have balls for the people that put them on yeah you know, I mean, not they control the, everything right now. Uh, there's not many of them left either. No, sure isn't. Uh, I, I have friends that do sort of some extreme shock rock, and they have to go overseas if they want to play and not get protested. Yep, yep. All right, so is there anything going on now today in the world of Sam Kinison? I know there was the samkinison.org, I think it was called. Yep, yep, yep. That kind of, you know, that was on MySpace. That kind of went away. We do have a, uh, a site on Facebook. Okay. And uh, as far as Sam, we still do projects. Mm-hmm. We still do projects uh, with him. And uh, it's like he's, be honest with you, it's like he's never died. Yeah. And uh, and so, I mean, obviously it isn't like when he was alive because you only had a limited amount of material. Mm-hmm. That had been recorded in that six years. Yeah. But uh, he still loved. I'd like, to, I'd like to just say one thing before we get off. I, I lost Certainly. a very good friend uh, to cancer yesterday, Norm MacDonald. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the funniest guys I've ever been around. He was funnier off stage than he was on stage. But I wanted to tell you, uh, he was with Sam flying to New York and... Uh, God, I forget who uh, Bob Newhart. Yeah, is uh, flying with them. They're all in first class, and uh, so Sam, the you know the the pilot comes on. <laughs> pilot comes on and goes, you know, my name is you know Bob Johnson or whatever it was Johnson, but I don't know if that was his first name. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be your pilot today, and Sam screams, "Oh no, not Crash Johnson!" <laughs> and the, the plane just <laughs> plane just erupts, and so this so this flight attendant come over and said, "You know, if there's any more outbursts before we take off, you're gonna have to get off the plane." <laughs> <laughs> but that when I think of Norm, I always think of him telling me that, and then you know whoever he's around, I'm there. He had to always tell him that story. Not Crash Johnson. <laughs> and he did that today the sky marshals will be out there 
Yeah, that's right. They would. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ian, I've enjoyed it, brother, and I, I'll do it again with you sometime if you'd like. Certainly. I appreciate this. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'll be releasing it in the next couple days. I'll send you a, a copy of the interview first so you can hear it. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yep. And thank you. I counted a, counted a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. I, I mean that. Well, you have a good day. Thank you. You too. So that is it for the Death Cast this week, a.k.a. Life Cast, the life and times of Sam Innocent. Again, I really want to thank my guest, his brother, Bill. I had a lot of fun interviewing him. He's a really good guy, and I will be posting links in the show description to both the Sam Kinnison page, as well as where you can hear his Sunday morning sermons, or you can just search for the, the Gospel According to Kinnison on Facebook. Till next time, stay morbid.